0: Welcome to a new episode and no, a whole new year of Pulp today. Listeners watching on video will enjoy the Shannon Wheeler uh, "Too Much Coffee Man" mug. It's early; we're not day drinking yet. Uh, I haven't done episodes recently, uh, largely because I didn't. I wanted to avoid the appearance of fiddling while Rome burned. Um, But we survived. We made it. Four years, we made it. Um, And today's selection is sort of based on thinking about where we've been the last four years and hope for the future after (laughs) that particular reign of terror. A lot of times on this show I, I talk about books that are personal favorites, things I've read over and over again. The book I'm going to read something from today, I've only read a couple of times over the years, and I haven't read it all recently. But man, have I been thinking about the first four pages of this, particularly the first very, very famous first paragraph of it, for the last couple of months. So, without any too much more further ado, A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens, uh, famously quoted by... uh, Kirk and Spock in, uh, well, I guess Kirk is the one who does all the quoting, in The Wrath of Khan. The opening paragraph, the opening couple of pages, is called The Period. And let's read it, shall we? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only there was a king with a large jaw and a queen with a plain face on the throne of england there were a king with a large jaw and a queen with a fair face on the throne of france in both countries it was clearer than crystal to the lords of the state preserves of loaves and fishes that things in general were settled for ever it was the year of our lord one thousand seven hundred and seventy five spiritual revelations were conceded to england and at that favored period as at this Mrs. Southcott had recently attained her t- five-and-twentieth-blessed birthday, of whom a prophetic private in the lifeguards had heralded the sublime appearance by announcing that arrangements were made for the swallowing up of London and Westminster. Even the cocklane Ghost had been laid only around a dozen of years after wrapping out its messages as the spirits of this very last year past, supernaturally deficient in originality, wrapped out theirs. Mere messages in the earthly order of events had lately come to the English crown and people from a congress of British subjects in America, which, strange to relate, have proved more important to the human race than any communications yet received through any of the chickens of the Cocklane brood. France, less favored on the whole as to matters spiritual than her sister of the shield and trident, rolled with exceeding smoothness downhill, making paper money and spending it, Under the guidance of her Christian pastors, she entertained herself, besides, with such humane achievements as sentencing a youth to have his hands cut off, his tongue torn out with pincers, and his body burned alive, because he had not kneeled down in the rain to do honor to a dirty procession of monks which passed, within his view, at a distance of some fifty or sixty yards. It is likely enough that, rooted in the woods of France and Norway, there were growing trees, when that sufferer was put to death already marked by the woodman fate to come down and be sawn into boards to make a certain movable framework with a sack and a knife in it, terrible in history. It is likely enough that in the rough outhouses of some tillers of the heavy lands adjacent to Paris, there were sheltered from the weather that very day rude carts, bespattered with rustic mire, snuffed about by pigs and rooted in, roosted in by poultry, which the farmer, Death, had already set apart to be his tumbrils of the revolution. But that woodman and that farmer, though they work unceasingly, work silently, and no one heard them as they went about with muffled tread. The rather, forasmuch as to entertain any suspicion that they were awake, was to be atheistical and traitorous. In England, there was scarcely an amount of order and protection to justify much national boasting. Daring burglaries by armed men and highway robberies took place in the capital itself every night. Families were publicly cautioned not to go out of town without removing their furniture to upholsterers' warehouses for security. The highwayman in the dark was a city trainsman in the light, and being recognized and challenged by his fellow tradesman, whom he stopped in his character of the captain, gallantly shot him through the head and rode away. The mail was waylaid by seven robbers, and the guard shot three dead, then got shot dead himself by the other four, in consequence of the failure of his ammunition. After which the mail was robbed in peace. That magnificent potentate, the Lord Mayor of London, was made to stand and deliver by, on term green by one highwayman who despoiled the illustrious creature in spite of all his retinue. Prisoners in London gulls found fought battles with their turnkeys, and the majesty of the law fired blunderbusses in among them, loaded with rounds of shot and ball. Thieves sniped off diamond crosses from the necks of noble lords at court drawing rooms. Musketeers went into St. Giles to search for contraband goods, and the mob fired on the musketeers, and the musketeers fired on the mob, and nobody thought any of these occurrences much out of the common way. In the midst of them, the hangman ever busy and ever worse than useless, was in constant requisition, now stringing up long rows of miscellaneous criminals, now hanging a housebreaker on Saturday who had been taken on Tuesday, now burning people in the hand at Newgate by the dozen, and now burning pamphlets at the door of Westminster Hall, today taking the life of an atrocious murderer and tomorrow of a wretched pilferer who had robbed a farm boy of a sixpence. All these things, at a thousand like them, came to pass in and close upon the dear old year 1775. Envisioned by them, while the woodman and the farmer worked unheeded, those two of the large jaws and those other two of the plain and the fair faces trod, with stir enough, and carried their divine rights with a high hand. Thus did the year 1775 conduct their greatnesses and myriads of small creatures, the creatures of this chronicle among the rest, along the roads that lay before them. <laughs> Say what you will about Dickens, but that is a hell of an opening to a novel. I'm no, I'm no particular expert on Dickens. I, I've read a bunch of it, and I enjoy a bunch of it. And I only recently learned that the plot of *Tale of Two Cities* was. Uh, lifted unceremoniously from a play that Dickens had actually acted in. But that's, and he cops to it in the preface, which is funny, I guess. The preface might uh, come after him being caught and called out on it, but you will have to refer to a Dickens specialist for that. The other, I would be remiss if I did not read the end of the book, because it is equally famous, in which a rake sacrifices himself And I'm just going to, it's just the last line. But uh, a rake sacrifices himself to save the life of a young man he greatly resembles, who he absolutely understands is a better man than he, and deserves a life that he doesn't. And the very famous line, again, as quoted uh, in a certain Star Trek film, It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to. Than I have ever known. Famously made into a movie. uh, Made into a bunch of movies. But famously made into a movie in the 1930s. Starring Ronald Coleman as Sidney Carton. The reader of that fabulous line. And uh, I had a... (laughs) At a time when maybe such things were still not even that common. I did a... You know, who doesn't do a Ronald Coleman impression? And uh, I had a friend in high school who was obsessed with Ronald Coleman named Margaret Yanni. And Margaret would always ask me to read, to do that line for her. The, uh, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. The generation, my generation will also recognize that voice as the Ronald Coleman voice as the voice of the, God, was he a toucan or an ape? Well, it's the toucan from the cereal commercial, but also the ape from Georgia the Jungle. And I'm really glad we're talking about, you know, Saturday morning cartoons with our highfalutin literature. As a complete aside, I'm going to read someday from a book I love deeply, Lost Horizon, also made into a film with Ronald Coleman. And uh, the things that the cultural echoes that you don't necessarily pick up on. Kirk and Spock actually reference Tale of Two Cities and walk around with a copy of it in their hands. On the George of the Jungle cartoon, the ape that sounds like Ronald Coleman frequently says, George, you idiot, which, you know, not, you know, it's cute and it's funny. But um, in Lost Horizon, the character played by uh, Coleman has a brother who who is kind of an idiot. Uh, And uh, I love the idea that some that the voice actor, I don't know who it was. uh, I'd have to look that up. Uh, given the line, George, you idiot, to read, said, how about, what if the gorilla is Ronald Coleman? And everybody in the room laughed. And that's why you get a cartoon in the 60s and 70s with a gorilla that sounds like a 1930s movie star. Anyway, this rambled a bit, but my friends, it is the best of times and it is the worst of times. I feel hope and I'm getting a little more sleep. The work of perfecting our union... (laughs) is never over. So let's just keep aiming for those best of times. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit pendantaudio.com. Thanks for listening.